coming at you with a special bonus episode. Very excited to be able to bring this to you. Uh, yeah, so in my spare time, <laughs> between uh, handling the podcast and also doing my normal day job doing uh, websites and all that sort of thing, I managed to squeeze in every once in a while a uh, quote-unquote professional audiobook where I get the privilege of narrating a modern-day author's book. All the books that we do on the podcast generally are public domain, but uh, I love getting to do it for modern-day authors as well. And this author in particular was kind enough to allow me to share a chapter of the book with you. The hope is that this will kind of whet your appetite and that you want to go purchase the audiobook or the book. You can get the ebook or the, the printed book as well on Amazon. Uh, the book is called The Marble Mirror. And I could tell you all about it, but instead, I think you should just listen to one of the chapters here as a little sample, and then hopefully you'll you'll really want to go ahead and, and uh, purchase the actual full audiobook, and that will go to support uh, a first-time indie author, uh, Samuel Seitz, who, again, has given me the permission to air this on the podcast as a special bonus episode. So, um, yeah, let's get into it. Without further ado, I give you a sample chapter from the Marble Mirror. Chapter 1. Meddling. My love, it would have been Saturday if we still kept track. Yes, I know, I still keep track. An old man sat at a desk in a white room, writing a letter in black ink and soft handwriting. His back was hunched from years of gravity, but his face had nary a wrinkle. He dipped his quill in ink and clumsily spilled a good helping of it on his white coat. It is noon, anyway he wrote. You like to know that, and the clouds are looking spectacular with the sun, as they always do this high up. It is a blessing that our divinity allows every man and woman to see this view. How the folds of red gush over every blue stretch, how they reflect on the face of our child, Leax. See, I can still be romantic. The coat he wore was made by a masterful hand. It detailed in extravagant embroidery, Two giant hands spread like wings, but upon closer look at the coat, one could not make out anything but golden spiderwebs sewn clumsily through the white fabric. A thick hood covered his head, making certain that his hair, if he had any other than his short beard, was contained in many folds of fabric. Ah, but I have something important to tell you. If you would ordain it under your power, I would like to call a council meeting. I'll be blunt. It's about Hiver. I, too, thought that we were finished with him. The damage he has done is irreparable, although not wholly unnecessary. Still, I question whether we should have cut the string sooner. Perhaps it is time to right an old wrong? Yours, Calm. Calm looked up from his writing. He had little more to say. Perhaps he could dip his pen in the ink and add a few more pleasantries but perhaps not. It was important that he gathered his fellows to Castle Aim as quickly as possible. He glanced out the window again to observe the view he had penned. Although he did not notice it previously, a thin glimmer of ice overtook what little he could see. Perhaps his memory had made the clouds look more appealing. With a sigh, he rose to his feet and noticed the large ink stain on his right sleeve. He blew onto the splotch, and the ink retreated from his breath, diving into the darker folds of his cloak and leaving the white cloth spotless. He turned to walk down the stairs. He had been lonely in this castle, wordlessly watching the people below for such a long time, but soon, he knew, he would come to miss the bliss of boredom. 
His shaking legs stretched stairs as he moved down the ramparts of Castle Aim. The castle was made of stone bricks that would have looked white had they not been contrasted to the noon-lit heaven. The structure was intricate in design and absurdly gargantuan. It took ages for Com to walk across the entire castle, which would have been impractical, but people like him rarely needed to walk. It was evident that the castle's sole purpose was to look pleasant to the eye, the colors soft and palatable. The rounded stone bricks almost made one forget the sharp aluminum rigging that decorated the tops of the spires. The castle was multicolored. The base was comprised of giant blue stones, transitioning then later into white, and finally at the top was glossed over with a painted coat of pinkish red that looked like the rays of a sunset. Below the ramparts was a rounded room which featured eight thrones in a disheveled circle. One of the thrones was made of quartz and sported several feather pillows inlaid into the white material. Rose-colored gemstones were pressed into the spotless stone, and immaculate hieroglyphic tails were engraved on the throne's base. One might assume that tales adorned on such a rich quartz throne must be about brave warriors and their adventures against evil, but that would be incorrect. In fact, the tales told were very boring. Calm hobbled forward to the throne and took a seat. One might also assume that the old man who sat atop boring tales would be a boring man, but that too would be incorrect. He pressed his fingers against a hieroglyph about the first person he had ever tutored. A gentle smile pushed aside his beard, and he shifted his weight to sit comfortably on the uncomfortable throne, cushioned by the memory of life thousands of years ago. His eyelids started to droop. Despite his conquest against sleep, after some time he fell into a slumber while waiting for his companions to arrive. "'Your lordship,' said a voice. Com snapped awake to see the golden face of Lady Love smiling at him from across the room. Her skin twinkled with a radiance of beauty and power. Com could have looked at her smiling pink lips for the next eon, but Lady Love was quick to turn serious and put on an expression of worry. "'You had me call this meeting?' she asked. "'Yes,' Com nodded. "'I see everyone's here.' He looked around to address all his compatriots. Of his court there was Lord Com, two ladies of equal rank, one freeher a seat below, a marquess and a marquis below that, and one thane at the lowest level of the court. Lady Luck spoke loudly enough for all to hear. Or you would rather not be. The other members of the court spared her their disapproving looks, except for Marquess Euphoria, who eyed the floor sarcastically. The most visibly offended was Fear, who frowned at the crystal ball held idly in his hands. Calm wasted no time quelling the irritations of the young royal, and preceded the procession with a proclamation. I would be embarrassed if you did not see this meeting coming. So... Have you seen what I have seen? The old man looked around at his compatriots, waiting for a response. His clean white cloak swished softly with a wind that was not there. Com had a well-trimmed white beard. Other than that, his hair was completely contained, quite convenient for reading. Even in his old age, his beard was thick, if only an inch or two long, and his skin perfect. He was old, not in an aged way, but in a powerful way. It was undeniable that he carried an authority with him that could only result in age. 
Even with authority, his eyes were astoundingly soft, as if he had learned all he could from sharp eyes and switched to a softer pair. Those soft eyes surveyed the room, but no one responded save for some nods here and there. All right, he continued. Lady Love has permitted me the first words. I shall be direct and decisive. I have good reason to believe that disease is under siege. A slow, weak voice made itself known in response to Colm's outrageous claim. No, no, that can't be. I've been watching death, you see, and death has only decreased. What looked like a heap of rags laid on the floor next to an iron throne. Upon closer inspection, one could make out an old, shriveled man clothed in those rags. He was the knowledge keeper and thane of Castle Aim. His name was Despair. It was his duty to watch death. He sat on the floor, slumped against an iron throne. The throne looked painful to sit on. Metal spikes jutted out from the seat and back. It would have been a lethal trap had the spikes not been filed down. When was the last time you set foot in disease? Calm asked. Despair fondled the tip of one of the spikes and tried fruitlessly to draw blood. His crippled neck turned to look pensively up at Lord Calm like a crow eyeing a dead carcass. Disease is the neighbor of my paradox. The in-between is thin there. I can look into it any time I please. Thane Despair was an old, shriveled man with lines under his eyes. He was hunched over to the point of appearing crippled. Grey stubble lined his wrinkled mouth, growing with the patchiness of a teenage boy and the coarseness of a Rottweiler. His hairline was thin and retreating, revealing a wrinkled and tanned forehead. Lord Corm continued the interrogation. How often do you receive souls from disease? Death, despair said slowly, has decreased. Yes, it has. Is that odd? Calm asked. Thane Despair was silent for a moment, seemingly lost in thought. He looked questioningly at Calm, not quite understanding what he meant. How could a war decrease death? He stopped to rub his shriveled eyes for a second or two. Calm wondered why the others still subjected themselves to human discomfort like the itch of an eye, when instead they could just remove the issue entirely. He considered removing all feelings then and there, but stopped himself and decided not to rush into a hasty decision. Losing a humanity was not a simple matter after all. My lady, if not the well of disease, have you received any dwarven souls? Calm asked. Not since Leax divided, Lady Love said. Lady Love sat atop a golden throne, similar in shade and texture to her golden skin. The woman was also aged, but far more beautiful than any other in the room. Her lips glowed with a soft pink radiance, and the same shade enunciated her pale blue eyes. Golden wings sprouted from her back, folding to cradle her body. She radiated power. She pursed her lips and looked down at despair, commanding her thane to admit any findings. I have not received a dwarven soul for several years, thane despair surrendered. To my recollection, he added hesitantly. Why is that? Lord Calm questioned. 
Dwarves live long, Despair responded. He could relate to the birth rates 150 years ago. Perhaps there was a spike in population, one that caused this fluctuation. It could, Com contemplated. The in-between has put us in a difficult position with the seas being so hard to see in the first place. Between that and the introduction of the in-between and our enemies' active pursuits of denying us observation of the area... Lord Com took a solemn look around the room. His presence was ever commanding and dark. Within moments, he completely usurped the meeting with his gaze alone. He strode to the centre to turn and look at his fellows. Thane Despair, you have never received... Hiver, he said. Despair bowed his head to the ground. No, my lord. And you, Freeher Mayhem, he was not your follower. He does not battle in your paradox. Com double-checked. He would have won by now if he had been, Mayhem chuckled. Lord Com turned to fear. He was a dragon. You did not... Marquis Fear shook his head. Lady Luck? You wouldn't have, Com said. No, I didn't even notice him when he was alive, truly, Lady Luck stated absentmindedly. Euphoria didn't wait to be asked. Not my thing, Com. I doubt I even need to ask my lady. Com glanced at Lady Love. No, I did not, Lady Love said. I was wrong. Lord Com grimaced. It is impossible that the seas is under siege. The other sorcerers looked shocked, a glimmer of hope in the darkness, but it could not be so. Com continued. It has already fallen. If the court had been shocked before, they were fried to ash now. Thane Despair looked offended by the notion that Com presumed. None of this made any sense. Had Com finally cracked after all these years of loneliness? This is illogical, Despair huffed. I told you, the dwarves of disease are afflicted by very little death. Why would that not indicate prosperity? The prosperity is Hiver's. If Hiver were to rise to attack disease, he would need all the power he could muster, and would deny the dwarves a peaceful passing. What point does Hiver have in attacking disease, if not to plunder power from the dead? Com answered. I suppose so, yes, Thane Despair pondered. Let me see. The fellow members of the court waited for Despair to say more. Instead, the creature took a book from his folds of rags and started thumbing through it. The pages were stained with red, and the cover was stitched together with seemingly no skill in tailoring. Here. Yeah. His lips moved through the sentence, slower than a valley forms through stone. Every word was conjured from the stars, struggling to glimmer through the veil of the night sky. A single time in which a human reportedly met death at the hands of a dwarf. He thumbed through another page of the book. Intriguing. That's impossible. The in-between makes access from the Malu to the disease taxing. 
and while dwarves live in disease, while humans live in Malu. The sorcerers heard all of this over the course of a full minute, as Thane Despair pulled words from the air and fashioned them in possibly the slowest possible way. Why, Aunt Leax, will we not know where humans and dwarves live? interrupted a booming male voice. Lord Corn looked angrily in Mayhem's direction, but he bit his tongue, knowing the Freeher could turn violent in a moment. With a broad, brutish figure, Freeher Mayhem towered above all the other sorcerers. It had been him who had dared interrupt a fellow of the court. His entire body was covered in thick black hair, like a mane more than anything. His eyes resembled those of an ox, and he wore a ring through his nose to cement the similarity. His hair and beard were clumsily braided to keep them more under control. Mayhem had failed in that. Unlike all other royalty, Free Her Mayhem was covered from head to toe in black plate armor. The steel plates clinked loudly at the rivets whenever he shifted, which the impatient man did often. Free Her Mayhem's throne was made of blackened stone that melded into the ground like a mountain overlooking a savanna. Forged into the stone were skulls. These skulls ranged from human to lizard skulls, with the crowning jewel being a dragon skull that was used as a canopy, casting shade over the grand seat of the throne. Thane Despair began to insist. Confusion should be avoided. I don't see what's confusing about it, Freeher Mayhem said. Why don't we go down to the Midlands and see what's going on ourselves? The Thane struggled to rise to his feet, showing a completely uncharacteristic demeanor in his posture. Not only was he taller than expected, his tongue was sharper and faster than it first appeared. The rags he wore threatened to tear under his malnourished muscles as he stretched. This wasn't the first time the toga had threatened to tear. The many folds of grey cloth had already been punctured by many small rips. Despair quickly stammered. I would avoid calling it the Midlands. Its residents call it Malou. So you can speak quickly, chuckled Mayhem. Tell me again, why do I care if it's called Malou? That's the Midlands. Mayhem, too, was starting to rise. He would quell any sense of defiance shown by this weak old Thane. The Freeher outranked despair by two chairs. If this sniveling pile of bones thought he could stand against the might of the strongest sorcerer in all of Liax, he was mistaken. Shut up, you oafish brute, a shrill voice commanded from across the room. You are getting sidetracked with the wrong questions. Sharp fear, Mayhem replied stupidly. The throne room was circular, but Marquis Fier still managed to place his throne in just the right orientation to look like it was off in the corner. At a glance, it appeared like he was sitting in the carved-out stomach of a dragon, one half the size of the skull that Freeher Mayhem used as a parasol. After looking at the dragon for more than a moment, it was easily discernible as a replica. The guts of the dragon were not spilling on the floor, but instead were transformed into a comfortable red cloth chair where the Marquis sat. Marquis Fear himself was skinny and tall, with a long nose and a pointy hat. It was a shame that the mortals just so happened to choose him to model their legends after. Fear's eyes sank into his gaunt flesh. Combined with the additional shade cast by his hat, his pupils expanded to adjust to the dim conditions of his gaunt face. 
His greasy hair fell neatly around his shoulders, and his long beard was tucked into his belt, making him look rather silly to anyone that got past the dragon he sat in. The dragon's scales were made out of black metal, but the teeth looked like real ivory. The dragon was effectively terrified, with leather straps holding the complex structure together. A black mist perpetually spewed out of the dragon's mouth. The mist looked like smoke, but it did not rise. Instead, the black smog fell to the floor and dissipated shortly after. Whenever Marquis Fear breathed in, he had to be extra careful not to sputter, or he would look even more foolish than he did already. Even while insulting Mayhem, Marquis Fear goggled at a crystal ball held in his hands. It was filled with what could only be blood. He licked his cracked lips, revealing a mouth filled with yellow teeth and several empty canals. This! Do you see it? Everyone's eyes followed those of the Marquis. No one responded to his question. They waited for him to continue, but he did not. He looked up from his crystal ball of blood, but his eyes struggled to tear away from it. It was as if the blood in his veins wanted to unite with the blood in the ball. A second reddened pupil manifested at the corner of one eye to keep a lookout on the glass ball of blood, allowing his primary set of eyes to scan the room. I asked if you see it, he yelled. Spit flew from his mouth and caught on his beard. A tirade of unhinged anger was evident on his face. He visibly grew older in seconds. His complexion reddened and wrinkled from the yelling. Euphoria had no patience for the otherwise intimidating man. Yes, we see it. Can you move on? Fear seemed to shrivel at being belittled. He sank down into the multiple layers of cloth he wore over his body. The outer layers were deep black, while the inner layers are crimson red. His hat was bent at the tip, but not by design, making it the most ragged of all he was wearing. The belt he wore was made of dark grey cloth, embellished with silver skulls stitched into place with red leather. Most sinister of all was the moon-tinted whip attached to his belt. He moved his hand down to it, as if he would dare take scarlet retribution for the insult. The court knew he was far too cowardly to try. In this bowl is Mordecai and Hiver's blood. It has served us all for generations. Lady Luck interjected. It has served you, Fear, and free her mayhem. For me, it is so little. The point stands, Fear continued. All attempts to replicate this bowl have failed. Only dragon blood can have enough potency to sustain itself after the soul link has ended. Luck rolled her eyes and stared forward. She idly fingered with one of the many gold and emerald rings on her delicate fingers. Don't, Fear started to say. The powerful voice of Lady Love rang out before Fear could interject. Why is this relevant? Or so he thought, Fear said. He raised his hands in the air as if he had just stated something very controversial. The other sorcerers were not as impressed as he would have liked. Or so we thought? Calm asked. What if the soul link never ended? Despair's head perked up at this. An interesting thought, to be sure. His previous experiments hadn't attempted to capture near-lethal amounts of blood while the donor was still alive and with an active soul link, it was possible that the potency of two powerful beings could be fed by one. 
That's... Euphoria started to say. Despair finished. Completely logical. Fear began. So, if we... Find Hiver and... Despair stuttered. A grin spread across Fear's face as he watched the malnourished man fumble through the outcomes of this new discovery. Mayhem looked at both of them repeatedly and huffed a large plume of cider-filled smoke out of his nose and mouth. Kill him, Mayhem said. All the sorcerers turned to look at the bull-like Freeher, frankly astonished that he was following along at all. What? Mayhem asked. That's what we all do, isn't it? There have been years when I'd go out and challenge a man to a duel every day, for the good of house aim. But now you're saying that if we eliminate the Hiver threat once and for all, and regain our soul well in decease, which we think is in jeopardy, we will lose our draconic blood. By the power of mortals all united, I can't believe an old ox can learn new tricks. Fear said. Mayhem looked like he didn't know how to react. Now what's supposed to... Calm sensed the tension between the two, and chose this moment to end any possibility of conflict. The proof that Hiver is still alive is becoming overwhelming. I dare say that this is a time of emergency. That we must do something which we have not done for many lives. He stood there, at the centre of the court, all eight thrones facing him. Two sat empty, one being his own, and the other being a silver mirror of his own directly opposite his. But unlike his own throne, the engravings were of heroes. They were grand and powerful. They told of ambition and adventure, of love and loss, of the world as it turned from chaos, and how it folded with the waves of all races coalescing into a vortex of power. The excitement the drama, the heartbreak, the triumph. The tales, they bled onto the floor, engraving the very place where Calm stood. A beautiful mosaic of the three worlds, Dysus, Malu, and Decease, came together in one great world, Liax. Dragons flew to the stars, while seraphs handed down Tevnal ambassadors to the ranks of man, so that the knowledge of magic could flow. The dwarves and Monkey fought great wars with fire. It was nauseatingly horrible and fantastical all at the same time. Calm's eyes darted across the rivets of white stone, memories of war plaguing him. He looked up again at the silver throne, and now a man sat on it. His face was the same as Calm's, but his hair on his head was grey, uncontained and wild. Unlike Calm, his beard was neatly trimmed into a goatee, contrasting with his hair that looked like it had been struck by lightning. The suit and pants he wore were flamboyantly purple. He smiled, an electric glimmer in his eyes. He looked questioningly at Calm and spoke. Aren't you a little behind, old man? Go ahead, make the order, break the rule, it's worth it. Or have you become the god of lollipops? Calm had no clue what lollipops were, but he had enough sense to be insulted. He thought for a moment about the consequences of his mirror's manifesto. Calm knew he could not trust him, and his confidence in his original claim was shaken. But he could not allow this evil to sway what was right. He was calm. He governed reason. But in his actions he was not torpid. 
A king needed clarity to make decisions. A warrior needed serenity to carry them out. The court was a coin, and this room had two sides. While he sat on tales of peace, he was, and would always be calm, god of war. We are gods, he announced. The room had not seen what he had seen. It shifted back into motion like a wind suddenly blowing again. All members of the court flinched at his exclamation, but Lady Love was pleased. We change the flow of life with our very hands. We craft and sculpt what is to be with the loving embrace of a true artist. Calm slowly turned to gaze at his fellow gods of aim, each in turn. We have been scared. Scared of our own creation. We have watched what we created condense itself into twisted renditions of the truth. It is time that we walk the world again. It is time that we take a conduit again. It is time to place our hands unto Malu, to preempt Hiva's next course of action. I say, my fellows, we take a champion. The wizard sat in silent contemplation. Marquis Fear was holding his breath. Well, after his lungs started begging for air, he breathed out a great sigh and inhaled deeply, but what he inhaled was a puff of smoke. He coughed and sputtered, trying to regain himself, but this humiliation was the last straw. You come to me with sky and sky, I know, he growled. But I have no such duty to protect the lands of men. They are ruled by tyrant kings and horrid pirates in the east. What do we owe them? Calm looked back. If you owe the Isles of Men nothing, then do it for the dragons. Hiver might have been defeated once, but he still intends to regain control of the clouds. No greater dragons are left to contend with him. Mordecai died of exertion before he could overpower him. I do not believe that he would die in the caves under our lovingly created world, Leax. In fact, I'm certain he didn't. The place that is his prison forever shall fuel his rage and increase his power. The evil in all the paradoxes is ever-growing, and we are almost powerless to stop him. Lady Love rose. The ground trembled with the force of her motion. She again regained control of the room, and Calm gladly surrendered it. In all our glory, all of our magic, what has divinity left us now? A dwindling supply all of our energy bent on keeping our withered bodies alive. Our bodies would be easier to keep alive if you didn't focus so much power on keeping yourself young, Marquis Fierce spat. Tendrils of spectral energy trailed from Lady Love's fingertips. Her head snapped to look at fear faster than a darting hair, and her arm rose at the same pace. Tentacles of magical energy, pink in luminescent glory, crossed the entirety of the circular chamber, seeking to enthrall fear in their grasp. Fear jumped off his seat, and a tendril bore into the velvet, leaving a gash on the dragon. The next tentacle went for another attack. Fear tugged his coat away and was able to dodge the grapple. Both chain-like tendrils bent backward and tangled themselves around Fear's arms before he even knew they were attacking him. They lifted him from the ground and slammed him against his own throne. His hat fell to the floor, revealing his balding head with smatterings of greasy hair. The tendrils retreated, allowing Fear to get his feet again. A stain of blood was left where his head had collided with his red cloth throne. Fear stumbled upwards, regaining his shaky footing. 
he scrambled down to all fours and fumbled around on the ground for his hat. Instead of finding his hat, he found another torrent of pink magical energy. It hit him in the stomach and forced him over his throne and onto the ground behind it. He cradled his inflamed stomach like a wounded animal, roaring like a dragon. Go, Lady Love commanded. Thane Despair, stay with me. You and I will have to compare death analytics. Com, Garner a champion. You're the only one I trust with the task. Marquis Fear and free her mayhem. You must protect Com with your immortal life. Listen to his wisdom. You know that he is my voice. Really hope you enjoyed that. Like I said, this is just a sample, a sample bonus episode. Wanted to introduce you to Samuel Seitz and his work. I'm going to put his Instagram link down below in the show notes, as well as a link to check out the full audiobook. Again, uh, you know, it's just a great way to support what uh, what I'm doing, as well as what Samuel's doing. Like I said, he's a, a first-time author. I think he's written other books, but this is his first published work. And uh, just really excited for him to get that out there and to be able to be a part of that journey. So if you want to support him, support uh, what I'm doing, I would love for you to go and check out his work and uh, throw some support his way. I know he would really appreciate it as well. It's, it's a lonely journey being a, an author uh, in these days. There's, there's so many books out there. So if you like this podcast and you like what, what I'm doing here, I would really appreciate it. It would be a, a personal favor if you want to check out his stuff. Give him a follow on Instagram. Tell him that you, you like the, the sample chapter on the podcast. So thanks guys for listening. We'll be back on Sunday with a regularly scheduled program back to the adventures of Arsene Lupin. So stay tuned for that and we'll see you then.